welcome to Joe Talks Comics. I'm your host, Joe Loves Comics, and this is the podcast where I talk with friends about the comics I've been really enjoying lately, plus occasional episodes and creator interviews. On this third instalment of the consecutive creator chit-chats, that's, that's another one of C's, I'm talking with John Lees, a writer of various series, some from AWA, AWA, such as both volumes of Hotel, The Crimson Cage, Mountainhead from IDW, and works like Sing, Dig, and then Emily was gone for Comics Tribe. This week, I'm talking with him about his first written work for Folk Comics, The Nasty, which issue one of that is coming out March 22nd. The final, final order cutoff is February 22nd, so a couple of weeks from when this episode is going live. So... Daddy, make sure to order it of your local comic book store if you're interested, if this um, inspires you to go and check it out. And yeah, I don't know if there's a whole lot more to say. I hope you're enjoying these. And yeah, oh, there's, there's one thing I will mention. About maybe halfway through 45 minutes in, um, John mishears one of my questions and thinks he wants me to wrap up. So he starts plugging himself and then I sort of say that I've still got a few more things to talk about if he's up for it. And Yes, so then we talk for another like, half an hour, 45 minutes. So don't think that's the end and exit out. Or don't if you if you think he's wrapping up and you look at your podcast player and you've still got 30 minutes left and you're confused, don't don't worry. Just just carry on listening. It's all good. It's okay. So yeah, I think that's about it. And I hope you enjoy. And I'll see you on the other side as always. So, John, welcome to the podcast. I've been reading your newsletter for like, maybe just over two years now, so it's yeah, it's, it's nice when I got this up and running to have you on here and talk about your a lot of your work, but um, significantly the upcoming book, The Nasty. Well, yeah, thanks for having me on. And as much as it makes me happy when folks say they've like read my books, it makes me even happier when they say I read my newsletter. So, thank you for that. <laughs> yeah, and it's something that. Not to get too off track immediately, but I, I know lots of the su- popular Substack um, newsletters, all of that business that's been going on for uh, over a year now, year and a half. I, I always find that yours is like consistently one of my favourites every like, Friday at 4pm GMT. Yeah, I'm quite it's pleased. Nice I've, never, I've never missed a newsletter. Um, for over five years I've been doing it now. I was doing newsletters before it was cool. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, it's like uh, every Friday I'm just sort of doing, doing my own thing, and then I get the notification. It's like, oh, neat. And then I, uh, no, I, I, always... I always appreciate. Mm, yeah, sorry. Oh, yeah. you go first. Sorry. <laughs> no, I was just like, I was just going to say, I always appreciate how um they're always very like lengthy and and quite like in depth for something that you've managed to maintain weekly, which I always find impressive. There's already there's always so much you've managed to talk about every week. Yeah, well, that was the kind of idea behind it, where, like, I wanted, mm. like, um, it to be, like, something where, like, if whatever I'm, was on my mind in a given week, whether it be, like, you know, process stuff or promoting an upcoming book or just talking about that movie I like or, like, a book that I like or whatever, that this is a space where I can talk about it. I don't have to worry about, you know, how long it's going to be because people are specifically signing up to get it, so I don't need to worry about, like, <laughs> like invading their feed or whatever, like, because it's, like, an invitation, essentially. Um, and to be honest, yeah, it can take a while to write up sometimes, but 
usually it's rarely a chore for me. The only times it's a problem is, let's say, it's like 11pm on a Thursday night, and I still don't know what I'm going to be writing yet, and I'm trying to figure something out. But um, thankfully, that's relatively rare. Yeah, because I know it's something you talk about sometimes when I mentioned the schedule and when things have to be moved around and yeah that can happen like um like, wait for i'm sure we'll get into this once we start talking about like you know um the comics and stuff but like for example like i've had in my head like a topic which was going to be discussing like this week's news about the nasty and the new artist etc that was going to be a newsletter and then it kept on getting pushed back that announcement so i kept on having to think up new things tonight you know while i was waiting for like you know that announcement to come out which is why i was kind of scrambling for a couple of weeks there yeah, yeah, I can't imagine it's it's funny. There was something that happened this morning on a slightly related note, um, where I planned a episode to go out on a certain week to coincide with the release of well, well. So the other week I talked with Kelly Thompson and Meredith McLaren, Meredith McLaren from the New Image launch yeah. Black Cloak with my friend Mighty Lee's, and I was like, right, I'm gonna release it on March, not March, February fifteenth for the release of issue two. Yeah, that's um, nicely. And then. I got the there's a new um newsletter from Kelly Substack this morning which I, I looked at and it was like oh it's sold out and there's gonna be a second printing and they've moved back the release of two to to, to coincide the FSC and it's like it's like that's great <laughs> I I was like I'm really happy for them but I I, I had to sort of like reschedule the episode because I was like oh I want to get it on the you want to entertain um, it just for the second issue coming out? Yeah, so I just thought like re- reconfigure things a bit behind the scenes there, just rescheduling. So it, also, well, to not like tying in some promotion to the release of the second issue because so often with books, especially like indie books, like there's like loads of like podcasts and interviews and features with issue one, and then all the publicity just stops right after that. So well done you for like coming up with some stuff to keep like interest going into the subsequent issues. Yeah, thank you. It's funny because in Late December, early January, I one one of the things I wanted to uh, achieve with the podcast in the new year is having lots of interviews and really like get that ball rolling. So I just ended up with quite a few going on, and it's quite a fun challenge because most most of them so far have been all like February and March releases, and so I've had to it was like a bit of a puzzle working out which episode should release when because everything needs to be released before that the relevant foc so i had to, I had to make sure I, I got all the episodes were timed enough before foc and so it was a fun scheduling puzzle to work out yeah it's always like that kind of like balance of like the two the two best times for like doing interviews or publicity is like one before foc like when the pre-order windows open then two like the release week because i said essentially you have like two launches in some ways and a lot of folk Think obviously of release speed, but a lot of folk forget about that first one, which is arguably the most important, which is when people have a chance to order the book in and know that it exists. Yeah, because the Meredith and Kelly interview, I couldn't push it back um, a week like like the book was, because I, I had another, in, I've got another interview coming up that week for an FOC, and I, I couldn't push that back a week because uh, the, the FOC with that was before the next Wednesday, but then. I couldn't put it forward a week because it, it wouldn't have been recorded by then because yeah, so, I'm only recording that one only a couple of days before. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, anyway, slight tangent. <laughs> that's, the, that's what all the fun stuff comes with. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so, yeah, so, so before we uh, get into it anymore, do you want to maybe introduce yourself to anyone that doesn't know much about you or doesn't? Uh... Um, so, if you 
don't know me or haven't bought my books yet. First off, how dare you? Um, <laughs> then, secondly, um, my name is John Lees. I am a comic book writer based from Glasgow, Scotland, and I've written a bunch of books. Probably best known for uh, the Glasgow-based crime pulp horror series Sink and uh, the horror anthology Hotel from AW Studios. Um, and other books that I've done include uh, or- Orkney-based Scottish Islands, Mystery Horror, and then Emily Was Gone, Psychological Thriller Mountainhead, um, Crimson Cage, which was a retelling of William Shakespeare's Macbeth, set against the backdrop of 1980s pro wrestling. And uh, what else have I done? I think that's, about, that's the biggies. Oxymoron was another one I did um, a few years back, a kind of serial killer story. So yeah, and that and a few other things here and there as well. Actually, I'm not sure if you m- mentioned it, but I think the first thing of yours I read was Mountainhead from oh, yeah, IDW yeah, yeah. from a few years ago. Yeah, that's like a book I'm quite pleased of, I'm quite proud of. Um, I did that with Ryan Lee um, through mm. ITW. And Mountainhead was actually um, the first book that I did that I was actually able to successfully pitch. I mean, I've done books before, released books before, but usually what happens is like, Comics Tribe, who I kind of like, I know the people you know, I've been, I go way back with the folk that are on Comics Tribe. They published my first book, The Standard. And for years, what would happen is I would go pitch books everywhere else. Then once everyone, everyone turned it down, I would go and Comics Tribe and publish it. Um, <laughs> but um, Mountainhead was the first book that I actually like was able to successfully pitch to IDW. Like I did that in like 2018, and then it came out in 2019. So that felt like a big milestone for me. It's a book that means a lot to me in that sense. Um, and yeah, like it's a really fun comic. I think like it kind of takes some twists and turns. Like it was kind of a victim of the pandemic when it just started mm. releasing essentially, and then like the pandemic hit and it kind of like got halted mid run um for several months, and that kind of hampered its momentum a bit. But I think folk like especially if you've liked my other stuff, like you know you should go back and check out Mountainhead because I think it's a really cool book. Yeah, and I think it sets maybe at least for me it's also a good atmosphere and tone for what to expect most of your work to be like, which is based around horror, simply. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, in terms of, like, Mountainhead's quite a good microcosm for that, in terms of, generally speaking, like, I'm, like, you know, despite, like, the genre leanings, I'm a bit of a soft-hearted guy. So, like, essentially, like, you know, Mountainhead's a nice kind of microcosm of, like, sweet, happy, earnest feelings kind of tied up in horrific monstrosities mm, yeah. and gore. You know, like, it's just like, I probably haven't set up myself. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely got that sort of atmosphere where, like, it seems maybe not pleasant, but it doesn't, it's not, like, dark and gritty, but then when you're reading it, you're like, oh, that's that's actually quite disturbing. Yeah, I mean, like, Mountainhead's quite a fun book because it starts off as, like, one thing and then very much takes a hard left into something else, which made it quite hard to pitch because it's, like, such a surprise. But essentially, it starts off as, like, you know, a kind of story about, like, a kid who's been, spent his whole life on the run and he's been kind of living off the grid with his, like, crazy, conspiracy-obsessed dad. And then they get captured by the authorities and this kid realises that actually, like, who the person he thought was his dad is, was actually someone who kidnapped him, and he gets sent back to live with his real family, who he can't remember, and his old hometown that he can't remember, and then things start, like, going awry, and strange occurrences start yeah. taking place, and he's not sure if it's just, that, like, um, he's paranoid, and he's, like, screwed up by all he's gone through, or if maybe, like, his dad-slash-kidnapper was right all along, and then things take a mad tangent from there. 
yeah, I mean, that, 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 what an interesting premise to, to go with, twists and turns. <laughs> so, not to veer, veer too back into the tension of talking about your newsletter, but you've talked a lot about your inspirations for the nasty and some of the ideas around it, but do you want to maybe give a brief uh, overview of the idea of the nasty and the sorts of things that you've mentioned in your newsletter for anyone that hasn't been re- doesn't read that? Absolutely. Um, the Nasty is a coming-of-age horror comedy set in 1990s Scotland against the backdrop of the waning days of the Video Nasties moral panic. The Video Nasties, um, for those who don't know, like, you know, like, um, in the UK, it's obviously more widely known than anywhere else, but, like, um, like the Video Nasties was, like, this kind of, like, craze that went in the early 80s. Um, this was, like, Thatcher and government, kind of right-wing... Um, in power and as happens to this day in various sort of circumstances um but they're always looking for boogeymen or things to say that we need to protect the children from essentially and right-wing press along with the government figureheads along with um certain like provocateurs and agitators like mary whitehouse essentially drummed up this public hysteria about um, horror movies and exploitation movies because this was in the early days of VHS and certain movies were getting released onto shelves unrated because like, the rating system wasn't really firmly established for home releases at this point um, and essentially out of whole cloth um, various people started drumming up ideas this was corrupting children that was like causing rises in crime and violence and um, children's minds were being corrupted so essentially they managed to start a campaign where the Video Recordings Act 1983 was set in place, which essentially allowed authorities to seize various horror movies which they deemed to be inappropriate and prosecute the distributors and the retailers who sold them under old obscenity laws. Um, and people went to prison for this and like had their livelihoods ruined for this. Um, so it was a whole big thing. I think it's a really fascinating period of British cultural history, which kind of has its echoes through various later periods in our history. But... Our story takes place um, in the 90s when this kind of like past the heyday of all this, but um, it follows Thumper Connell, who is a kind of lonely teenager um, who's obsessed with horror. And all through his life, he's carried with him his childhood imaginary friend, who is the star of his favourite slasher movie, um, I mean, a giant hulking masked slasher called Red Ennis. Um, and... Thumper and a group of other misfits um, gather at a local video shop and covertly watch various banned video nasties, you know, under the radar. And their fortunes change when they manage to get a hold of a film called House of Creeping Flesh, which is the most notorious, the most widely banned of all the video nasties. And um, they hope that they'll be able to sort of host a screening of this film um, for horror fans all across the country. But things take various turns when they start to realise that this video might actually um, be as cursed as they say it is. And various things go wrong and the story takes various turns, which I shan't give away. Yeah, that's such an interesting well, premise. Along the timeline of your sort of other works, when did the ideas for this start to arise and start to come into um, inception, I guess. I mean, that's actually an interesting question because, like, the, the that title, The Nasty, um, I can trace back the better part of a decade. Maybe 2015 was the first time I was playing around with an idea like The Nasty. And 
I did have the idea of setting against the backdrop of like the video nasties moral panic set in the 1990s, but the original story was a lot darker. It was actually more like pure horror, and it was like you know something that was like taking cues from it, and it was going to be like you know small town like children banding together against this monster that lives in a videotape, and it was going to be really dark and scary. And then Stranger Things came on Netflix, and it was like, even though it was the 80s rather than the 90s, it was still the whole idea of like childhood nostalgia with monsters and like kids in bikes. And I thought, oh no, maybe this feels like now if I, now if I do the nasty now, it's just going to feel like I'm copying this. So I kind of put the idea in the back burner for a little bit. And then when I eventually came back to it, like, I ditched most of my old story. I kept the framing device of the time period and the kind of video nasty theme, but I kind of ended up making it more of a light-hearted thing, more of a comedy, um, more about the kind of group of friends and like more about a love letter to horror and showing how horror can actually be what I've always found horror to be, which is like something that's kind of quite comforting and quite warm. Um, even if the, what you're watching on the screen is gruesome, um, it can be a release from the real horrors of the world. Um, and so I wanted to kind of convey that in a story, and yeah, I think I'm really pleased with how it's turned out, because although, like, it's a book that's all about horror, it's actually perhaps, like, one of my most light-hearted and earnest um, um, books that I've done, and it's probably about as heartwarming a book can get that has, like, someone having a spike put through their face in the first page. Yeah, that's interesting, because I'm looking at the cover now, the, the new cover to issue one, and it, it definitely has that, it's a lot of, like, vibrant colors in terms of it feels very like animated and for lack of a better word cartoony in this in the sense that of the style so yeah no that's absolutely the vibe we're going for um and yeah something that's gonna be light and poppy and full of personality and recently to prepare for this interview i read the uh, first two volumes of hotel both of them and one of the just uh, written letters parts from you. you 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 talk a bit about the comparisons and similarities between horror and comedy so i thought it was interesting that you touched on um how the nasty is going to be sort of more light-hearted yep. horror, i mean still that's something i think is generally fascinating to me i do think that mm. comedy and horror are like really closely related cousins i think it's because of all the genres, they're the ones that operate in, like, the highest emotional plane. They're the ones that kind of, like, extend beyond reality into, like, you know, pushing into, like, getting a reaction. And, like, I think because they operate in that higher plane, they are quite closely linked. I mean, one of the things that I always say is if I'm talking to somebody mid-sets, I suddenly go, ah! Like, you know, give them a fright. Like, if you get a fright, the first thing that happens after you jump is you laugh. Because, like, you know, it's a release of emotion. Yeah. Um, and, like, that's something I've always thought is interesting, like that some of the funniest comedy is just one degree off of being terrifying, and some of like the scariest horror is just one degree off of being hilarious. And the example I always give is um, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, I watched that movie, and I remember telling people that when it gets to the end, and she's, um, spoiler alert for a 50-year-old movie if you've not seen it, but um, when she gets to the end and she's stuck in, like, the cannibal's house and she's tied to the table and, like, they get the old cannibal, like, the, the patriarch to try, like, and hit her in the head and keeps on dropping the hammer. Like, you know, he can't get in and trying, trying to put it in his hand. I was laughing my ass off when I was watching that because it's funny. <laughs> but, like, when I tell people that, they're horrified. Like, you can't laugh at that. That's cannibalism. Um... But I just certainly know, or the other example that I give is I went to see Hereditary in the cinema, and that's a really grim movie, really dark, really upsetting. But when you get to that ending of that movie, and like it's the kind of 
people climbing the walls and going totally unhinged. I think it's still absolutely terrifying, but what was interesting is all it took when I went to see it in the cinema was one person started giggling in the corner and soon the whole cinema was like chuckling because like it operates in such a fragile emotional plane when you get up to that level that the line between comedy and horror is so thin. Um, so that's why I think it's kind of fascinating to explore the kind of interplay between the two of them. Yeah, and I mean, on a slightly different but similar note, it, this, this might seem out of nowhere for some people, but it, it reminds me of those edits on YouTube, those videos on YouTube where it's things like Big Bang Theory without the laugh track or yes, like Friends without yeah. the laugh track. <laughs> and it's really unsettling. Yeah, like, you know, because those pregnant pauses, like, you know, like, yeah. all, all needs is, like, menacing music in there. And same thing if you were to insert a laugh track into yeah. like, Halloween. Like, you know, like, you know, like, let's say, like, the bit when the guy with the glasses opens the door and Michael Myers is there and pins him to the wall. If that got, ha, 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 as he's doing it, it would become funny, you know. But, like, it's, it's all about the kind of that thin dividing line. Yeah, and because there are lots of very dark and serious uh, horror that just sort of plays it straight but then there's equally like just a ton of like campy horror and it, it is a very like blurry line i suppose yeah i mean for me like obviously like yeah like there's horror that's not funny that's very serious but for me like one of my big things that i do every year is i host like a halloween party with like all my friends like you know and mm. like so one of the things that I'll, whenever I'm watching a horror movie, I always kind of like mentally divide the, the movies into two categories, which is one, is this a horror movie that I could put at a party screen with a bunch of friends and they'd have a great time watching it? Or is it not? Like, you know, like, um, I don't know, like, of Rink, you know, might not be one that you have at watch a party and you have a laugh at, but Megan, Megan might be, you know. Um, and like, so yeah, I think like, you know, horror, like, even though it is kind of assumed with the darkness and kind of like, you know, the worst impulses, I think that certain types of horror, like, are great communal experiences, as you're sharing an emotion, it's like a roller coaster. You're getting the shocks, but then you're kind of getting the rush of adrenaline and the joy that comes from that. Yeah, because I know in the past year or two, uh, there's been a couple of, well, one, one of them was, uh, there, there, there's this sci-fi movie that I watched just over a year ago, maybe like November 2021, called Santa Jaws. All right. Which is this most like wild. It's sort of like set around Christmas, and it's like Jaws, but he's attracted to he's attracted to Christmas ornaments, and he can be hurt <laughs> by Christmas ornaments. <laughs> That's pretty good. And then this, this might sound ridiculous, but I don't really want to, to spoil it. Just on the off chance that someone ever for some reason manages to watch it but it's that i think it, it sort of make, leads me to an interesting point about sometimes even if the movie itself doesn't necessarily lean into the comedy aspects of it deliberately if it's not like a deliberate comedy there are still lots of sort of like ridiculous films out there like that mm-hmm. that oh, don't necessarily unnecessarily like deliberately funny but i just sort of so ridiculous in that sense that they just end up being funny yeah no that's absolutely true and horror rich for those type of movies and i i know there was a there was another one last year with kevin bacon oh um is that um i never saw it but i remember hearing they was it they them that got like roasted by kevin the kevin bacon was in it 
it's like they they slash them because like yeah they yeah, slash them because yeah. it's a slasher yeah yeah and that was another one i watched with people so it sort of speaks to the idea of the communal experience so it, especially if it's not very good and that shared experience when i don't know it's weird because like parts of it were it was like one part a decent coming of age movie and then one part like generic slasher and yeah no like that, that, that for me like you know and the thing is even if like because that's the thing it's like there's the movie itself that you have to judge like on its own merits but then separate from that you judge the experience of watching that movie like sometimes a movie will be absolutely terrible but you will enjoy it if like the experience of watching that is like for example if i want to watch like slugs with a bunch of friends like you know I might, I might rate that higher and say it's great because I remember like having a great time watching it, and that's kind of like the framing device of um, the nasty, where it's like part of the part of the fun is just creating this whole ecosystem of like terrible movies that they watch, um, and like one of the kind of recurring things is like you know we see this group of friends like bonding over watching like cannibal clowns of Scumtown or pervert bigfoot like you know where it's like you know i just like establishing these like really bad made-up movies and seeing little segments of them like you know within movies within movies um and it's like that whole idea of like friendships are forged by like you know watching bad movies sometimes sometimes that's what a friendship is yeah and it reminds me of something you brought up in your newsletter one time where you talked about how a lot of the time horror movies are judged differently from normal movies like a was it like a bad a bad movie might be Judging it as a movie, it might be a B, but judging it as a horror movie, it might be an A. So there's that yeah. difference of comparison and standard, I guess, is what I'm yeah, trying to so say. Yeah, so it's all thing about what they call elevated horror, like you know, which is like a term I just don't like. But like you know, the idea that like if, I'm, if, I, if a horror movie has good cinematography and a coherent script and a good performance, it has to be elevated horror. It can't just be like a good horror movie. Like, you know, it's like some separate category for it. For me, elevated horror is like horror that takes place at the top of the mountain. Mountainheads and elevated horror. <laughs> I guess, yeah, I guess, I, I guess because, someone because could argue because that. Because it's set at high altitude. Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah, quite literally. <laughs> uh, took me a moment. <laughs> so, I know, uh, I keep mentioning the newsletter, but people should genuinely go. Yeah, you should. That so you can subscribe at deep-ender.johnleescomics.com. That's deep-ender.johnleescomics.com to get newsletter goodness in your inbox every Friday. Yeah, because... If you want some like good essays and things about, so you've talked about so many of them, but were there any sort of specifically that I know you've talked a bit generally about the cultural context, but in terms of are there any specific movies that influenced the comic or? Um, well, in terms of the video nasties themselves, like I wouldn't say the actual plots of the video nasties really like influenced. Um, the movies so much, or not the movie, the comics so much, um, although I will say that, obviously, like, I, I'd already seen a bunch of the video nasties, and, like, I watched a bunch more of them once I began, like, earnestly preparing um, this series. It's obviously, like, you know, I was, like, certain ones that jumped out at me, and I get to kind of write essays in the back matter for each one, kind of showcasing them and celebrating them, but... Um, I'm just kind of looking through the list to see if there was any that jumped out at me. Yeah, like, in terms of, like, the actual kind of um, main movie, like, you know, that they're obsessed with, House of Creeping Flesh, that's not a real movie. Um, but it is kind of, the kind of, like, version of it that we see is kind of broadly 
based on a video nasty called The Slayer, which isn't a particularly good movie, but the kind of premise of it and the concept is quite good. So I thought it'd be fun to do a twist on that. Um, but in terms of like what movies, you know, or what or what TV shows or whatever influenced the nasty, rather than like video nasties, I'd say I was drawn inspiration more from there's a movie called um, what's it called again? One Cut of the Dead. Um, it's a Japanese movie. Um, about a group of people that are making like a zombie movie, you know, and then like they come under zombie attack, and it's kind of really kind of quite fun, and it's built in a kind of love of stories. That was a big influence um, on the nasty, and also movies like Son of Rambo and Bowfinger and stuff like that. That they were the ones I was telling the artists to watch, you know, and also like because I'm Scottish and because the story is set in Scotland, like a big influence to me is like the films of like Bill Forsyth. Um, so I think like the tone of like local hero, um, Gregory's girl, that sinking feeling, that kind of silliness, but with a dash of earnestness and like a kind of like, you know, bit of like magic realism in the mix as well. That was the kind of vibe I wanted to go for and the kind of like atmosphere that I was wanting to generate in my depiction of the small town of Rutherglen in Glasgow, um, in this story. And hopefully that kind of comes across for anybody who reads it. Yeah. What was I? What was I gonna say? Oh yeah. So your artist on or the artist on the book is Adam Cahoon, who's also done um some like parody movie posters there recently. And I know uh, George Cambadeus yeah. was originally solicited to do the book, and now he's doing the couple, first couple of issues. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. He, was, he can... did. He did. He did our first couple of issues, and he's um left to focus on other projects. You know, but. Thankfully, we were able right. to have um, Adam kind of step in. And the good thing is that Adam was already kind of part of the team because he was doing these posters and he was like doing yeah. a lot of filling work and kind of like world building within the first two issues as it was. So we didn't have to start from scratch finding a new artist. We were able to um, take someone who was already familiar with the world, already on brief, already doing stuff for us and who was like really passionate and engaged about it and was like ready to just hop right on so the transition was super smooth and like i've been looking at the pages that have been coming in for issue three and it's great um and i talk to adam all the time um actually like you know um i've been saying like, just about every day i get like a message from him like you know like saying like i've got this idea or how about we try this or that which is something i really thrive on and yeah, I think it's going to be really exciting to kind of work with Adam going forward. And yeah, I think it's going to turn out really well. Nice. Who came up with the idea for the parody movie posters? Was that something that you came up with or him or the boat? Oh yeah, that, that was like, I was kind of like, when I originally wrote the script, um, I had the idea of, I'd said, um, let's have, um, I think I think I originally put in the script something like, Monster Dome Video, that's the name of our central location, the video shop where most of the action takes place with the key characters. But um, I'd said in the notes, the po- the walls should be filled with various movie posters and like there should be various VHS covers, you know, dotted around. And then I'd, I think I'd said, so, like, feel free to come up with some yourself. Um, and then, like, you know, I think it was George at the time was like, I'm not really sure, I've kind of stuck on what to come up with. So I wrote a list of titles, that's like, you know, a long list. Like, I originally wrote um, well, the main, the main, the main kind of like series, uh, or the main kind of thing at the centre of it all is um, Labor Day, which is the kind of like slasher film series, which you know Thumper's imaginary friend comes from. And originally, the first titles I'd written out before I did anything else was um, a list of 
Labor Day movies. So I had like Labor Day, I think it was Labor Day 2, the next September, Labor Day 3, Blade of the Proletariat, Labor Day 4, Guts Parade, Labor Day 5, the final chapter, Labor Day 6, The Resurrection of Red Ennis, Labor Day 7, Red Ennis Takes the Hoover Dam, and Labor Day 8, the new final chapter. Um, But like, so that was the kind of launch point, and I thought, let's see how many other dumb titles I can come up with, just making stuff up. You know, some of them riffing on like actual video nasty titles, some of them just off the top mm. of my head. So I put up this, I put together this massive list of um movies and then i sent it off to george um but george still wasn't really like you know don't didn't quite like he wasn't quite happy about like doing the posters and stuff while he was working on the main book so right. we brought on adam to make those posters that we could then set into like the video shop and adam just knocked it out of the park um and i i, I was already chuckling like at some of the lines that i'd written um like you know some of the titles are quite stupid you know like i had like special delivery like you know about a postman who removes people's livers you know and stuff like that but what really made them funny was then seeing adam interpret them and like draw covers for them and like and he was taking some in directions like you know that i hadn't even thought of like i think like one title i'd written down was butt munchers and i'd imagined that as like you know like people like biting people's butts but he actually drew it as like you know an ass with teeth, <laughs> you know, like, you know, like, which made me, which just made me laugh out loud when I saw it. Um, and so yeah, I think they ended up being like a bit of a bit of fun collaboration. And now, as we're in like kind of like promotional period, and I want content to kind of like share to keep the kind of like the nasty in people's heads. It's meant I've now got a whole library of these posters that I can share and kind of come up with like little made up stories around them. And they've got good engagement. It can kind of alert people to the existence of the books. It's been a lot of fun to work on that as well, and just. I like it if you can make a comic feel like a world that exists beyond just the 22 pages or 24 pages um, of the comic. I think that's done this. It's kind of helped that world feel larger, hopefully. Um, and yeah, so I think, I, really, I think Adam did a great job there. Yeah, and it's like you were saying about the making the world feel more real. I was listening to the, well, at, at the moment of this recording, the latest episode of the Radiant Black podcast on in launch of Inferno Go Red with the we're talking with the writer Matt Graham. So check out their podcast. They've had already great podcast. But I, I think I think it was then anyway. They they said how the world should um feel like it exists before issue one. Like it shouldn't feel that it like it came into existence with the first page of issue one. It it should feel like it's already like alive and rich and that that's that's um, really true. Like I think mm. that. Um, for me at least that's one of the biggest challenges of a comic book but also one of the things that's so magical when it's done right which is with a comic you don't have much space something you know you only have like a certain number of pages per issue a certain number of panels per page so sometimes you have to convey something about a character like you know maybe like three or four panels you have to say something about them and tell the reader all they need to know about that character so one of the most important skills that a writer and an artist as well, you know, I guess, once, but I'm just thinking from the scripting perspective, but one of the most, like, important things that a writer can acquire as a skill in comics is that ability to convey something in a way that you feel like you're giving away more about a character than you actually are, or you're encouraging, like, the reader to fill in the gaps, if that makes sense. Mm. And especially with indie comics and uh, basically anything that isn't Marvel or DC, because with Marvel and DC, like the world already does exist. So yeah, yeah. Obviously, obviously, DC or Marvel has the luxury of having a universe within which you know, like you know, the comics exist. Mm-hmm. 
so like you're playing with toys that are well established and you have this whole history to draw in. Like you know, when you're making an indie comic, like you know, that's like you're starting from chapter one essentially. Yeah, and maybe on a slight tangent, that that's something that always uh, impresses and delights me about indie comics when it's done well is especially when it, you can tell that the whole team has uh, this like passion and love for it because it, it just yeah it is a magical experience. Yeah, no, absolutely. Like, you know, I think it's just something that really shines through. And for me, like, and it sounds cheesy, but, like, you know, for me, that's, like, when comics are at their very best. And it's, like, you know, just, like, you and your pals, like, jamming together and, like, making a story, making a world together. Mm. And, again, at the time of recording, I... So, we're, we're, yeah, my God. We're recording this on a Thursday, and yesterday, as of recording, the new issue of Saga came out, 61... So that that came back after a six seven month uh, off, and so I feel like that's one of the the best examples in terms of a gold standard of like world building of an indie comic, and there's yeah, so I mean, many characters I mean, and so something lasting sixty issues in this day and age is yeah very cool essentially like you know I know like I've done like ten issues of sync which is like the most i've done of any book and i feel exhausted just by that like you know i've obviously i've geared up i'm i've written issues 11 through 20 um and like you know that feels like a massive endeavor um but the thought of doing 60s just like beyond me yeah because i had uh marcus Ernesto from the writer of by the horns from scout comics and he was saying how i think in terms of legacy numbering that's on like issue like 14 15 with uh, it was renumbered and relaunched, but in terms of legacy numbering, if you want to, you know that there, yeah, it's just over a dozen issues, and that it doesn't sound like a lot, but as you say, in this day and age, yeah, no, absolutely, because I think like you know something that I think is sadly not really happening anymore, really happening is that heyday of like you know vertical um, or later like image. Like just doing these like sixty issue runs, you know, a hundred issue runs, you know, you don't really get that much anymore on the especially not in like the indie sphere. Yeah, and to anyone listening, I, I, I promise I'll stop referencing and linking back to previous and future episodes. But it, it reminds me of when I mentioned earlier the other week when I recorded that episode with Kelly and Meredith. Uh, Kelly's almost reached well, of course, we're a fantastic artist and the whole the whole creative team is on that book, but. They've almost reached 50 issues of Captain Marvel, which, I, I mean, I can't, most things have been relaunched by that part in Marvel. I, I know, like, Aliens going for, like, a third number one in so many years, so to have something like Captain Marvel, or just any Marvel book, reach almost 50 issues of and, one and number. And I think, like, you know, it can, it's, it's such, I think, I, I don't envy the amount of work that, like, a big two writer or artist has to, like, you know, go through with all that in terms of, like, not just being able to, not just telling your story but also having to navigate like events or tie-ins or whatever editorial mandates or relaunches and i kind of feel like there's been times in the past where like a relaunch or like a series like restarting from issue one it's been like a jump off point for me rather than like a jump on like you know and it's, it's a hard thing to try and navigate um and like so I think that's another example of like the current model of comics. We are not even like Marvel and DC or Immune are able to have long runs where they feel this pressure to constantly relaunch every couple of years. Yeah, because I know something like Strange Academy at Marvel, that was a very original idea. And that had uh, Scott Young and Humberto Ramos and Edgar Delgado on all 18 issues of that and then all six issues of finals. And 
and they had like months between those issues sometimes which was cool that they told that that happened and didn't put any villain artists in but what i was still thinking is when it was relaunched with the new uh finals the strange academy kernel finals that's i was like oh okay fair enough and then it was announced that uh scotty and humberto they they only wanted you know, they, they planned out like a 24 issue story and then that's what they got so that's like good at one t- point but no, I guess it's just going to like end with six, so then it just feels a bit awkward to have it's like a twenty-four issue run, and then you just end up with like eighteen issues, and then like six issues under a new name. I, gu- I guess it... what they, I guess what they're thinking of is that yeah, it may be annoying now, but like you know, maybe like five year, three years, five years, however long it takes from now, when they're eventually going to release an omnibus of this, and it's just going to be mm. all twenty-four issues. It's going to be called Strange Academy, and no one's going to remember after that that it was like eighteen issues to six issues. It's just going to be that's the story, that's the format it's going to exist in forever. Well, is that and that's always what's so satisfying about omnibus when it's sort of like awkwardly and unevenly distributed like that when you just have it all in one, you know, like, one handy I, volume. Because I know the things like the Young Avengers omnibus, the original run like Heinberg and Chang, but I also had lots of the other um, bits and pieces because between the original series and Children's Crusade and yeah, between like 2005 well, and 2011, they put in lots of event tie-ins and things. Well, I'm looking do. back over my shoulder right mm. now at um, one of my favourite comic runs of all time, um, Daredevil by Mark Wade and, um, oh my God, I forgot the artist's name, that's terrible. Um, God, that's 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 terrific. Yeah, that's like Chris Samney. I'm, 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 I'm totally blanked on that. Um, but yeah, like um, I've got like you know that I'm looking at that volume now, and that was like it's it's the, the omnibuses that I've got is five omnibuses collecting like um, not even not omnibuses, but five hardcovers collecting like the whole run, and it's like within those five hardcovers is like two different volumes where they had a volume and they got like three volumes in then the relaunch and started again with issue one and then like that's that's volumes four and five of like this so it goes to show you like you know that happens all the time yeah because i know the current run by um written by sadowski chip sadowski mostly yeah it's the same by... team that are in it but they just started yeah again. yeah marco Ticetto, where it had i think it ran like 38 issues or something and then and they went on a break while devil's reign came out and then they put it back with a new number one with the same creative team. Yeah, I suppose there must be a thinking behind it. Like, you know, obviously, like, people are attracted to issue one, but it just makes me sad. Yeah. Is there anything in particular you've been reading lately that you've been enjoying? I don't know how much time you have to... Oh, sorry, sorry, I'm not read, sure if I suddenly but... went quiet there. I was talking away and I realised that I accidentally leaned on my microphone and I'd gone and I'd turned myself on mute. So but it wasn't just that like, I'd gone silent. <laughs> <laughs> um, but... Yeah, um, sorry, like, was it the, what did you say there, but what else would I like to talk about? Um, I think well, being, like, well, first I should, in case, like, you missed it, I'd just, oh, the last thing that I'd said was just that, um, uh, I'm sure there's a good, I'm sure they have reasons for why they want to renumber things from issue one, like, it must be, like, good mm-hmm. for making jump on points or getting new readers, but just for me personally, it makes me a wee bit sad when the continuity is broken, but, um, but yeah, moving on, in terms of like anything else that I'd want to add, I think the main thing is just like, you know, that the nasty is available for pre-order now. Um, you can let your local comic shop know that you want to end this chat about that has interested you. Um, it's available for pre-order until final order cutoff on February 22nd. Um, then after that, issue one hits shops in March 22nd. Um, and then it's going to be an eight-issue series. Um, so um, it'll be running monthly or 
thereabouts um, up from March onwards. And so, yeah, please do look out for that. Plus, um, Sync Volume 3 is coming back this year. We'll be launching a Kickstarter very soon. Um, so keep your eyes open for that. Um, and because the model, as you'll know, if you've been a long-term reader of Sync, the models generally we go to Kickstarter first and then it comes out in the direct market afterwards. So keep an eye open. Whether it's um, whether you buy the book in comic shops or whether you get it through Kickstarter, um, watch this space this year. And hopefully I'll have more stuff coming soon. But in the meantime, um, if you want to hear more from me, as I said, we've talked about a couple of times already, my newsletters, deep-ender.johnleescomics.com. My Patreon page is patreon.com forward slash johnlees. And my online shop where you can buy all of the books we've been talking about here is uh, johnleescomics.bigcartel.com. Plus, you can follow me on Twitter at johnlees927. I think so, that's all the plugging that I've got. Hmm. Yeah. I do have a couple more things uh, I would maybe like to talk about if you're up for it. Oh, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, sorry. sure. Sorry, I thought I just knew you said that as well. I thought that was like, yeah. you were, sorry, no, go for it. Yeah, it was like, it was like a, I didn't want to interrupt you, but I thought I might as well just. <laughs> now, now it's about like, you know, like when you like say goodbye to somebody in the street, then you start walking. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, so oh, hang on. Hi, fancy seeing you here. So, uh, so like I mentioned earlier, I, I read. A hotel recently both volumes and that was your first work with uh, AWA yeah and I, I suppose before I ask a question I should we should say briefly what the, the series is about yeah um so hotel is a anthology horror series um set in this old roadside hotel of route 66 um officially it doesn't exist you wouldn't find it on any map but if you're traveling alone down the highway and you're truly desperate for sanctuary or secrecy, perhaps you'll see a sign on the end of the road saying next exit on the left that will take you there. Um, but this is a place um, which has various demons and where you might confront your demons. And if you get there, you might find yourself wishing you'd kept on driving. Yeah, so it's it's an anthology comic, but, but the, the issues are still... Uh, interconnected and interrelated which yeah the thing thinking is like you know it's kind of like Rashomon you know or one of these movies where especially with volume one but also in volume two where um it's like one story but each chapter um you're focusing on the occupant of one room at the hotel so you're seeing their perspective of the larger story which is in itself a little self-contained tale yeah so one of my so my first question about this story sort of centers around that in the sense that how like difficult was it or I don't know how what was it like trying to weave those stories together and trying to work out how to interconnect that was it something that sort of came to you quite easily or did you have to sort of think about how to like weave them all together you know that meme when it's like you know Charlie Day standing in front of the big board with all the kind of things in that yeah. it was a bit like that where like you know I had, when I was trying to figure out the chronology of like I had to lay out everything that happens over the whole weekend. Like, let's say it's like Friday through Sunday. Um, and I had to like plan out all of the big milestone events, like the, the, you know, the, the solar eclipse, the, um, the explosion, you know, whatever. And I had to kind of hit these various, you know, these various milestones that occur in everybody's story and then start figuring out where and when all the other characters interact with it. So then, like, I'd have, like, one line of, like, the continuity of the hotel or the chronology of the hotel. Then I'd have these other little lines, like, guest number one checks in here, guest number two checks in there, 
Um, and figuring out the various points where the stories overlap and when that would happen, you know, it was quite a lot of planning that went involved before I wrote a single page of script. Yeah, and because that's what something that made it interesting about Volume Two is, but then without maybe spoiling too much or saying too much about it, there's a couple of characters that show back up in Volume Two, so then you're sort of just doing like the mental, um, uh, just thinking of like trying to like keep track of it all, where it's like so and so was in Room One, and then and they were in Room Two, and then something happened and now Zero in room four and they're in room three and this happens in room two and then yeah yeah no it becomes a little bit i think with with volume two uh, the story like is bigger and takes place over a longer period of time but that also allowed me to kind of like give myself a little bit of a break where like um issues one to three have all of the same overlapping stuff from volume one but then like in between like issues three and four or at the very end of issue three going into issue four there's like a gap of like a week which kind of like lets me say okay now i can kind of start somewhat afresh um and but yeah, like it's something you always have to keep track of. Like whenever, whenever I'm writing something, I have to have like I have like you know Piero Courts, which is the name of the hotel. I have to have I have to think of that like as a physical space and think about how's this laid out. How you know are people that are in one room going to hear what's happening in the other room when this is happening? Like where is like this person when that's happening? So that's something you always have to keep track of when you're writing the story. Yeah, and in the I think it was in it might have been in the um, first trade as you were reading it. You talked a bit about how you connected with is it Axel Alonso? Is that Yeah, the... Axel Alonso, um the editor in chief of AW Studios. Yeah, like well, Axel obviously Axel has like a long history in the industry. Like, you know, he's been a major player um at Marvel and before that he was at Vertigo and he's like been the kind of figurehead in a lot of like very influential major books. Um and obviously he left Marvel um and People were thinking, well, what's he going to do next? And he actually he followed me on Twitter, and I didn't actually think it was Axel Alonso first. I thought it was like a, a fake account or a parody account. And then I realised that it was actually the real Axel Alonso. So like, I followed him back, and he sort of DM'd me and said he was a big fan of Sync, you know, and he'd love to work together on something. And I'd said to him, like, you know, yeah, I'd love to chat. I said, I'm going to New York this week um, for the convention, but once I'm back home, we can do like a Skype call or something. And he was like, well, I'll be in New York as well, so why don't we meet up? So I ended up being that year, it was 2018. I had my biggest meeting of that year before the convention even started. It was like Tuesday. I met up with Axel Alonso to go for lunch. And this was before AWA had even been announced, or before it was even a thing. And he, like, we had this conversation, you know, about, like, and he was like, again, he was like, I love sync. I think we could do something together. And he was talking about, like, you know, he said, like, you know, and this was a total, like, game changer for me, where he was like, you know, rather than me trying to pitch something to somebody who doesn't know it exists, it was like him saying, um, just send us whatever ideas you have, you know, and we'll see if we can come up with something to work with together. Um, and he, during that conversation, the things I picked up is he'd said that, um, he, he loved the idea of doing like another anthology style series because he loved that about Sync. He said that he loved the idea of the setting of an old roadside hotel. Um, and I think when he was thinking of it, he was thinking more in terms of um, a crime or noir story. But my mind instantly went to horror because that's the mm. way my mind's baked. And also he'd said something about um, doing something with clowns again because he loved the clowns and sync. In my mind, I'm thinking, oh, the last thing I'm going to do is another fucking clown story. But um, that then became like a fun challenge. And I was thinking, like, you know, well, how can I do clowns that are totally different from the clowns in sync? Sync, um, for anyone who's not read it, the kind of main antagonists in sync are these like terrifying, grubby, 
deranged, dirty clowns who ride around in a blue transit van, snatching people up and like cutting them up, turning them into clowns. Um, <laughs> the clown that's at the centre of the hotel is like Piero, which is like drawn from traditions of Commedia dell'arte, um, this kind of like Italian theatre. Um, and there's this big painting of a Piero in the hotel lobby that keeps on changing position. Whenever, um, oh, oh, sorry, Siri just jumped up thinking that I was talking to it, but I wasn't. <laughs> um, yeah, but yeah, like, um, was, oh, yeah, so like, Piero is, um, like, it's this big painting that's in the hotel lobby and it keeps on changing position whenever somebody turns away from it and looks back at it. And I thought it was a kind of creepy idea as a kind of linchpin of the series. Um, so yeah, it ended up being a bit off and I kind of like took those various elements and I kind of like put them together into an idea and I sent that to Axel. Originally, the originally pitch was called Next Exit, No Vacancy and Axel looked at that and he loved the idea because like, let's call it Hotel with two L's like hell and we can have this and we can have the logo be like the neon sign with like the O and the T blanked out. Um, so that was Axel's touch. Um, and yeah, then for that, the rest was history. It was him that set me up with the creative team like, you know, who are all like industry vets i was the least proven talent in that team like dalibar talich the artist um he um has done marvel dc work um lee lowridge the colorist sal soprano letterer all the same um they were all veterans now you know so it's kind of interesting because usually i'm the person that has to choose the team it was, it was quite, quite interesting having that all done for me and i just write the scripts then they send them to the rest of the team so the first time i met dalibar was actually after i'd written volume one um and we got on great and we kind of hit it off immediately and then like so it was quite good when i did volume two been able to then message dalibor and be like you know what kind of stuff do you want to draw and have that rapport that we hadn't had for volume one um but yeah it was an interesting process getting that book made yeah that, that all sounds very interesting to hear about great to hear so that must have been you touched on it that must have been a great feeling i can't imagine when um you, you just were able to work with that sort of to come up with the, the series and it, yeah, as I mean, you say yeah, like, well, one minute able to, like, work with, like, you know, all that proving you know, all established talent, you know, and mm. jump, jump on board this new venture um, and have someone say, like, you know, we're looking for writers like you, and that's actually, that's obviously really gratifying. But also the whole process of just being able to, like, you know, send in an idea from someone who's wanting to hear ideas from you as opposed to, like, having to, like, you know, spend months and money and all that stuff, like, crafting together mm. a pitch document, which might never get looked at or might never gain traction you know it was a whole shift in dynamic which was really refreshing and really kind of energized yeah and i was going to ask do you have a favorite issue of of hotel um, hotel across both uh, volumes um yeah my favorite issue of hotel is volume two issue four um good boy the issue with the guy and his dog um that's my favorite one for all the kind of ghoulish horror ones that i've done that got this kind of sad story about a guy who has to learn to let go of his ailing elderly dog um um that was the one that kind of meant the most to me i was thinking about dogs that i've lost in the past and stuff and so as i put a lot of heart into it and like people who message me and say it resonated with them um, makes me happy because it resonated with me as well when I wrote it and resonated with Dalibor the artist um, so yeah that's my favourite issue I put a lot of into that I put a lot of love into that one yeah I was going to say that, that definitely came through I know the, the second volume of Hotel was more in various different ways in terms of the creepiness and the scale and in cases like that issue the like emotional um, I don't know yeah just hard hitting emotionally 
Yeah, it was it was it was intentional. Like, one of the things I love about an anthology format is that if you, once you once you kind of like firmly establish a world, you have freedom to kind of like play within different genres. Like um, it means that hotel like once you've established the setting and you, you know you know like within that world you can tell super dark menacing stories that are really creepy. Or you can do like zany creep show style, like you know, ghoulish mm. dark comedies essentially. Um, or you can. This is one of the biggest challenges yet. You can do something like this, which is emotional, dramatic, and has its heart on its sleeve. And that's something as well that I enjoy doing with Sync as well. Like you know, where with with Sync, like you know, I have the chance to do like horror stories, kind of like noir stories, action stories, or like romantic comedies. Like you know, like, you know, like I, I like that idea of being able to play within different genres within the same world. Mm. And throughout various points across both volumes, it, it's sort of an interesting um, balance and relationship between the, the the characters themselves and is it Jack? The no, yeah, the, Jack Ledge, sort of, um, yeah, who's was, the concierge. And, yeah, and the sort of like the mechanics of the, the I mean, the hotel and how it all comes together. And so, how how do you sort of go about balancing sort of how much we how much you sort of like reveal and delve into sort of like the mechanics of the hotel and how that compares to like the characters and the scenarios and well in terms of Jack Lynch like obviously my, my kind of inspiration there was like you know Tales from the Crypt like the Crypt Keeper mm, yeah. and the stories like I wanted our version of that but didn't want to just do that I thought it'd be quite fun to have an idea of someone who's like that who's also rather than just being like you know a host is also a participant in the stories you know as maybe emotionally attached you know they maybe feel sorrow or compassion for the people in the stories that he's talking about it was always interesting to play with framing devices as well um, I think in volume one we do this thing where it's like you know it's a kind of like first person POV of you're a guest talking to Jack and he's telling you these stories and then in mm-hmm. volume two we kind of like wove in Jack's introductions into kind of like the larger narrative um, eventually um, but in terms of the mechanics of the hotel one of the things that's fun about that is kind of just gradually revealing layers like for me when I think about hotel or when I think about Piero Courts the hotel and the story I think of like playing like a Resident Evil game for example like Resident Evil 2 when you're in like the Raccoon City Police Station and it starts off as like a police station but then you find like you know secret doors and passages and like the same map has hidden dimensions within it and different layers and different bits so it's always like what seems like a finite space becomes more and more deep and has more and more levels to it and that was like something i wanted to play with in the hotel where you think you think it starts off like you know four rooms in an office in the middle of nowhere but then you have like a hidden crawl space underneath um then that leads into like these underground chambers and there's even deeper holes they go into in there then beyond the ground you have like the forest and you have this big lake and you have all this other stuff there and i love the idea of this being like a bigger and bigger world and like even two volumes in we've only sort of scratched the surface there's you no know, so more we could do if we get a chance to do more yeah because I, I was sort of thinking that you want to reveal and sort of delve into another about the hotel and the, and the environment itself so that so it's like interesting compelling but you don't want to like, over-explain it or... No, oh, yeah, you don't want to kind of, like, take away the, the scariness by, like, explaining yeah. this is what this is doing, this is how it's doing it. I think a little bit of mystery is always good. Yeah, so, pivoting back to the, the last thing a bit, how did that team sort of come together? Was that something that was put together by you or Vault or...? Um, yeah, that, that the way that worked out for the nasty was... Um, we originally talked... Um, 
obviously like Adder's pitch that's the right or only thing. It was just me on board. Like I just like had I, I, I had this idea for years, like I said. Mm-hmm. And then like I pitched um and I think I finally started talking in earnest to um Adrian at Vol, maybe it would have been about like, twenty nineteen. We're talking about let's work on something together. And he'd said, like, send me what ideas you've got. And I think I sent three ideas at the time, like and one of them was the nasty, and that was the one I immediately gravitated to and said, I like this. I think it actually said, um I think he said this on Twitter, so I'm not like just humble bragging or name dropping, but he said it was his favourite pitch that he's ever seen for something. Um <laughs> and that's like high nice. praise, like, you know, um so yeah, so we started working like you know, and the way it worked out is we were all excited, we were all good to go, we we're all like you know, think let's get working on this, and then the pandemic happened, COVID hit, uh. um, and that kind of put things on hold for like over a year essentially. Like you know, it met AJ message and said you know right now they had to just focus on their current line, they couldn't be thinking about acquisitions until they got past this kind of period of uncertainty. So eventually it was um, it would have been maybe twenty twenty one um before we got back in touch with each other, like, okay, now we're ready to pick this up again. And we started having conversations. And a big part of that through much of 2021 was trying to find the right artist. Um, and, like, you know, he asked me to put together, like, a wish. He had a couple of ideas. And he, put the, he asked me to put together a wish list of creators. Um, so we went through a couple of choices. There was a couple of ones that weren't available or had other things on. Um, and then one of the ones that was on the list that I'd had down was George, um, who I've been a fan of for going back to, I think he did um, Short Order Crooks with Chris Sebola, which is a book that I absolutely loved, and he'd done a couple of other things, and so I thought he'd be a, good, he'd be a really good fit, and so yeah, then we got George on board, and I, I think the book finally got finalised, like just at the tail end of 2021, going into 2022, um, which meant I then had to like write the series, like you know, like in early twenty twenty two, and so yeah, like so it was a fun process, kind of like you know putting it all together in stages and kind of like because because, because like it's just distant period was that long because you know between all the time they've been in my head, then like the years of um, kind of in a holding pattern before we finally got the green light, it feels all the more satisfying to finally be at that stage now where it's ready to get released. Mm, yeah, interesting. So earlier we touched on and talked about Adam's various parody movie posters that he's created. I know there's a lot of them that you shared, but are any of those in, in particular your favourites? Oh, um, I like a whole oh. bunch of them. Um, it's hard to like, you know, but I will say, like you know, if I had to kind of pick out a handful, like you know, that I particularly enjoy, um, I would say um, Pervert Bigfoot is one that always makes me laugh. Um, just because there's like an issue too, there's like a whole like one page monologue about what Pervert Bigfoot is because I loved it so much. I also like Hunk McBuff, Vengeance Man. I think that was a good one. Um, Wywolves, um, which is something I kind of like threw in offhand. And the poster Adam drew with all the werewolves shrugging just made that even funnier. Um, made me laugh. Um, I also like Poopy Pants because I'm very mature. Um, and I. <laughs> And like the poster that Adam drew for that, because I wrote poopy pants. You think that'd be something like scatological, whatever, in the poster? But the poster's just like this guy sitting there grinning, and he's just looking. You go look at that dirty bastard. He just looks like a poopy pants, you know. But um, those are probably my favourites. Yeah, and I mean, just did you uh, did you mention his name? Oh, I think I think I think I put that in like the blurb that I wrote and what was it mm. Arnie Bowles or something? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because I was, I was just finding it on Instagram, I was like, I have to make sure to mention the name if if you don't. Yeah, yeah, oh. Barney Bowles. Um, and there's a couple of other ones that we never made posters for. They just show up in like you know the 
framework of the comic like that I enjoyed like you know like don't go in the public restroom or blood on satan's cock which is like you know like a twist on like you know blood on satan's claw and, like, you know, so there's a whole bunch of other kind of stupid ones we came up with and a lot of fun yeah those are always fun like background details and easter eggs to include i know someone someone like chip the chip Zdarsky, i know i've sort of seen him that like do lots of like background gags and yeah, and then, and then also the one of the one one of the gold standards for it I think is Giant Days, uh, Max Adams oh, work, um, yeah. just over that stuff. Oh yeah, it's, a, it's such a great series. Did you hear that? Yeah, one of my favorite yeah. comics. And I think like for me, like one of the biggest. If I was pick like a comic, the the nastiest like drawn inspiration from would probably be that. And th- th- there was a new um, th- th- there was a, there was a new series announced with John and Max. That, that was announced recently from Dark Horse. Oh yeah, the Great British. It was, it was like, oh, that's... yeah, that's it. It was like like a like a murder mystery baking. That that's what that's gonna be. Yeah, fun. that 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 it was just made for me. It feels like between the creative team and between the subject matter. Um, I, I've been I've been wanting to come up with like a um sort of food-related story for ages, but they've just found just the right angle for it. Yeah, it, it's something about like the combination of the. Like Max's like um animated sort of style and the expressions and like that like the comedy that's yes, John Wright and yeah the faces Max draws are something like the best of anybody. It's just like so many great out of context like panels and things that you can so yeah just fun. like you look at that panel and it's funny. I think it's hard to do comedy in a comic, mm. but that team have like mastered it. Yeah, and I think yeah it it, it, it is interesting how there's like different. Um, maybe circling around in some senses about trying to convey those different genres like uh, horror and comedy and how they're sort of converted into into comics in terms of like the punchlines and the, the scares and it, it's yeah, always it's interesting hard because like you know um i think speaking with horror you know which is like a, i know more about because like i do more horror but like that's hard because like for one you don't have sound which is so like mm, integral to yeah. like horror like you know an idea of like the jump scare or tension like trying to convey that in a comic is more difficult um because someone can just close the comic but they don't have to turn the page so like it's just trying the, the balance is trying to kind of like trick the reader into thinking that they have no choice they have to turn the page even if they don't want to um like in the kind of mastery of page turns and, and to be honest like it's a bit like comedy again in terms of like it's like setting up a joke and a punchline you know, it's like setting up a scare and you get the payoff. Same idea. Um, but so yeah, like you know, hopefully being from and I think I have actually found like you know that sometimes when I'm writing comedy stuff, my experience of writing horror kind of pays off in the same way in terms of like that whole build it up, build up, build up payoff, like you know, or a surprise or a page turn. It's a, like a similar tools you're using. Mm. And before we start to properly wrap up, is there anything in particular that? you've been reading lately that you've been enjoying i don't know how much time you have for um well to be honest like you know obviously like in terms of comics um that texas blood is great Um, it's my favorite book that's out right now um i think it's fantastic um i've really i've really been enjoying um the nice house in the lake i've not read the last issue yet it's sitting in my to read pile so i don't know how it ends so don't spoil it um i really enjoyed do a power bomb last year i thought that was great um 
what else? Um, I, I think Ram V's Detective Comics has been a blast. I've been really been digging that. Um, Chips of Dark is Public Domain. That's great. Like a really kind of like slept on series in some way. I don't see a lot of folk talking about it. I think it's really good. Um, I checked out Zoe Thurgoods. It's lonely at the centre of the earth. Late mm. last year, I got that dog bubble and that was fantastic. Um, in terms of non-comic stuff, um, I've been reading some more fantasy lately that I've been enjoying. Um, I read um, The Black Tongue Thief which is a really good book. Um, and I'm currently reading um, Legends and Lattes, which is about an orc who opens a coffee shop, um, which is about as low stakes, you know, and cozy wow. as you imagine it would be. Um, and yeah, like, you know, so there's some good books and some good comics. But yeah, um, what happens is I never have enough time to read as much as I'd like to read. What generally happens is I'm working and I think, okay, I'll read when I get to bed. Then when I go to bed, I lie down, I pick up a book and I need like a chapter or read like, you know, one comic and I'm like... <sighs> <laughs> that's me out for the count, you know, so I'm I'm suddenly falling behind in my reading as a result. Yeah, I mean Do a Powerbomb was like phenomenal. That was just what what a read. Yeah, I you know. Um it was good. I I need to read more of Daniel Warren Johnson's work. I got the Murder Falcon Deluxe Edition for Yeah, Christmas, he's such so he's, he's such a good creator. I loved um Extremity that he did, that was great. Mm-hmm. I need to read that. And like Wonder Woman Dead Earth. Yeah, I've not read that one. Um, I heard it was great. I need to read it. Um, I think I tried to get it at one point that was sold out. Um, but yeah, my favourite thing he's done is probably Extremity. That was stunning. Um, but all nice. of the stuff's worthwhile checking out. Better A Bill too, that was good. Yeah, I, I, know, I, I need to catch up on uh, or just read that text, especially because it's just like three trades. So to, to grab those. Yeah, no, and point, it, so. First volume is really good. It's kind of like criminal style, like noir. But each volume gets better and better as it becomes more confident, like the world it's building in itself, like, you know, and it kind of, like, grows upon itself and the momentum keeps mm-hmm. on picking up. So, yeah, like, you know, really worth checking out. I think it's the best thing in the shelves right now. I love it. Nice. And before we probably wrap up, I just was curious, uh, if, if you were given the chance to work for, say, either Marvel or DC, is there any, any particular superheroes that you think you would be interested in writing for either a mini or an ongoing or i suppose those See, are two different things but i feel like everyone like you know like people would seem to come up with better creators than me come up with these really polished answers these really kind of like obscure you know characters mm. or really kind of like you know you know they can you know they can say oh i would do this really original inventive take on like this forgotten character from whatever period I'm not, I'm just like a total basic bitch. I'm like, you know, I, I want to do Batman for um, DC. I want to do Spider-Man for, you know, Marvel because they're the characters that I loved growing up. And I think it'd be great to be able to say, like, before I die, you know, I got to like, contribute to the um, worlds of these characters that made me love comics and made me want to write comics. Um, in terms of, like, I don't know if I would necessarily love to do, or maybe fun to, to do at some point, but, um, I think there's a lot of pressure that comes with doing like the flagship ongoing, um, especially mm. for those two titles, which have very vocal, very like you know demanding fan bases. I think maybe it's more fun yeah. to just kind of like do like you know we kind of like offshoot a wee mini series or something like that, or you know, um, like I've always said I'd love to do something like you know like with Bat with like Spider Man's Rogues Gallery, do like a kind of like Shane Black style crime caper starring Rhino or something like this, like you know just do something like off the wall like that, um, or like you know, but yeah, I I definitely would love to try and tackle like you know the worlds of Batman or Spider Man or Daredevil as well. Daredevil's another favourite, um, before um, my comics career is done. But right now, I'm happy doing my own stories. But if the opportunity ever came up, I would, you know. Yeah, and about like Spider-Man's villains, I can't remember who the artist is, but and I, I haven't read it, but I, I hear 
good things every so often about Nick Spencer. And oh, when Superior he, when he wrote Spider-Man. Super, yeah, yeah. yeah I've, never, I've never read that, but I heard it was good. And yeah, it, it just made me think of, uh, as you were talking also about how uh, I mentioned little Chip Zdarsky earlier when he wrote, I think uh, at least the early issues had, I think Adam Huber on art when he did Peter Parker, like Spectacular Spider-Man. Um, and I saw, I, I reread the first arc of that for a different podcast and it, it, it's it's fun. It's really interesting to see that sort of offshoot where it can be more comedic. And I know he has, yeah. Sadowski has talked about how he wouldn't want to do the main Spider-Man title just because of the everything involved in that. And yeah, so much involved, and so many things to continuity have to juggle. For me, my favourite Spider-Man comic of like recent years was uh the Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man book that Tom Taylor did. Mm-hmm. Um, which like, still. and essentially that was like, yeah, that was essentially how we um maybe like 18 issues, whatever it ran. And there was a couple of longer stories in there, but for the most part, it wasn't even like, the scale wasn't even like just New York City. It was literally like a neighborhood, like an apartment block in the surrounding streets. And it was like the various like small stories, like, you know, of these locals and people that lived there. And you know, Peter Parker was one of the folk that lived there. So Spider-Man was in the mix as well. So you have like, you know, one story, which is like this kid that's got cancer, like, you know, that Spider-Man, like, you know, does like a make-a-wish for him, like, you know, and like, you know, like, dresses him up as a sidekick and they like have the whole hospital in doing like a recreation of like his various supervillains that they can oh. have like no play fight like you know and that's a great story or you have one where it's like you know um like spider-man like passes out for a day and it's like then it follows mary jane instead and she kind of like goes around and like sorts sorts very like puts out various fires in peter's life so he can keep on functioning as spider-man and like you know it's like little like wee small things like that they're just like so small scale and so human it makes it a lot of fun yeah i mean my favourite comics, like superhero or otherwise, most of them were, are that, um, when they do have that, like, emotional core, and almost, uh, yeah, I think, like, the I know I've talked about this a bit before on other episodes, but the, the ones that always speak to me are the ones that have the, like, really, such a wild premise, and then yet, it's, like, equally as emotional, I, I was like, that's really compelling to me, because it's, it's both, like, exciting and thrilling, and it's sort of and touches on your heartstrings and yeah i think like you know like the, the more i think if, if you have that emotional core that gives you an anchor which can you know like carry you through like various outlandish um narrative t- twists and turns um like you know but if you have that human grounding like you know people will stick with you through that yeah and uh, i was just thinking it just comes back to mind giant days and what makes that so delightful when it, it's just like the most um seemingly maybe relatively benign conflicts or, or but it's just like so entertaining and just getting to know those characters and their like yeah like you know, like, and... you know because you have that core cast that you care about you know you're willing to go and do this or that and go into different various like you know larks because you have that grounding yeah so i know i, I think you maybe plugged uh, yeah yeah like, what you should do is like maybe like just like you right. know we can snip out in the middle and put it in the end, you know. <laughs> but, but yeah, no, like, you know, like, I like, so if you want to learn more about me, I like, just you know, rewind back the pod interview half an hour and <laughs> listen to that bit there. But um, yeah, no, um, so yeah, you can find me on socials, you can find me on all those websites, and please do support the nasty at your local comic shop. Yeah, and it's just like especially important to support the nasty and all these other indie. Uh, creators because yeah they do need your support i i I know just one last reference to another another episode i don't know yeah it won't it won't be out yet as of recording this but in the upcoming or as of releasing this in the upcoming um 
Kelly and Meredith in interview, the the question comes up about we start talking about like the longevity of Black Cloak as an as an image series, and they literally just mention that it really does depend on how well it sells and how finan- financially viable it is, and that that is of, unfortunately often the case with um lots of it like indie books. So I I know I know the nasty is planned as a a mini series, so it's a slightly different scenario, but still, just indie series just always deserve your support and yeah yeah, yeah they need that support they're just support and also like you know if you possibly can like let comic shows let, let comic shops know you want these books like ahead of time because one um that will guarantee you get your copy but also um comic shops will often go by you know the word of like the regulars and people that shop there like you know if they say they want books that might encourage them to order more of them because you know there's an audience out there so every kind of like book you can ask for or to be added to your pool makes a difference yeah yeah absolutely so i i don't think we have anything more to say i I think we've covered everything that we've covered a litany um a whole spectrum here in this conversation yeah so just uh thank you for joining me it's nice that we're both sort of like in the in britain so within the same time zone so i know it feels yeah. feel great to just be doing like a conversation at a normal hour rather than like setting up at yeah. one in the morning to have a conversation yeah, yeah, it's fun because I think this might be only my second um, re- recording with someone else who's also in GMT, so that that's fun. <laughs> yeah, no, I was to say like you know it makes things a lot easier. Um, because like, I've just got to this point now, like when I, especially with Vault, where you have like three or four different time zones at work, you have people on like East Coast, you have people on Mountain mm, Time. Yeah. Adam's in the West Coast, so he's like in California, so that's eight hours apart. So uh-huh. every single time we're having a conference call, we have to navigate all four of these times. So it's like, you know, let's have a conversation at 12.30 slash 2.30 slash 3.30 slash 8.30. <laughs> yeah, I have to say, I've gotten great at working out time zones over the past few months with the different... <laughs> but when daylight saving time comes in, it screws everything up. <sighs> <laughs> like the the other day i was um starting off to trying to organize a couple of more um episodes of people to talk about various comics and um I, I was organizing a few of them and then two of them came through and i was like oh yeah oh, i'm in gmt i was like oh it's like it's like that's neat that's nice that's neat that's because i just thought it was funny because it was like both of them that, <laughs> so i was like oh it's like well that's my job done yeah just just like waiting for someone else to also being GMT and then two coming like months. <laughs> yeah. But I think, anyway, I think, yeah, I think you, just, you, just, you just start demanding that everybody who does an interview with you like has to first travel like you know to the UK to do like the interview from the airport to make things easier. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because as I mentioned, even like across America, it's not any easier because there's different. Like, yeah, like you six, just have to like, what state hours. are you in? You know. <laughs> yeah, and then and, and then you get to the whole point where. I know that the best of, I mean, I might have mentioned this before, the best of 2022 episodes I did, where we started at 7pm my time, um, and I was like, oh, that won't give us enough time. And then just because there was, we had so much to talk about, I, not only did I end up splitting it up into two episodes, but we ended up recording in total for like five hours. Oh, wow. So it was like <laughs> gone midnight by the time we finished, I was it, it, at the end of it, they were like, "Oh, that's like, a, couple, go, couple, go. a couple of Lord of the Rings movies in there." <laughs> Maybe it, 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 <laughs> they, they were just like, "Like, go to sleep." Like, it's gonna be really late. I'm sure you're tired. You can just go to sleep. <laughs> okay. 
Anyway, yeah, thank you for... Just, just, take, just take a power nap during an episode, you'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, just like, well, just like get them talking and then... Yeah, yeah really, like, get, get me like one of my long involved answers, like... And then I just wake up and I'm done. Oh, dear. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, just like, thank you again for, for joining me and... Oh, thank yeah. you very much for having me, and thanks again. Like you know, you're we're always kind of super um, engaged and interactive and social, and you're always sharing my stuff, which is appreciated. So it was nice to come and have a chat with you. Yeah, yeah, I, I always always try to be supportive, and uh, I'm glad. I, I just yeah, I hope that it, it helps people. Maybe some people go out and find the last thing or and you're to check out all your previous work. Cause, yeah, it's it's it's, it's great. Oh, thank you very much. Um, and please, yes, if you're listening, please do pick up my stuff. Um, the more people reading, the better. Yeah, and, and just uh, have a nice rest of week, rest of your evening. Yeah. yeah. Um, enjoy the rest of your week. Um, and I shall hopefully um look forward to seeing this popping up on the socials, and I'll share it as soon as it does. Yeah. Thanks. Right. Um, have a good day. Bye bye. <laughs> Welcome back. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. Unfortunately, that's all we've got time for on this episode. I want to thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed the episode, please rate and review the show five stars wherever you're listening. I would really appreciate it. If you want to keep up to date on new episodes, please subscribe. And if you have any questions, comments or suggestions, you can email the show at joetalkscomics at gmail.com. You can find the podcast on Twitter at joetalkscomics. And finally, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at joelovescomics, where we can continue talking comics. That's all for now, and I hope to see you next time. Bye!